0: We have spent the past week in Eretz Israel, Jews across the world, facing an incredible crisis in Eretz Israel, a trauma of having three boys, children, teenagers, kidnapped as they were on their way home from school, ruthlessly, brutally, without a trace, without any knowledge or information of their whereabouts, and... As a people, as a community, we've launched into Tfilos and prayers and Tehillim, fervent, spirited gatherings across the globe, unlike any we have seen, certainly, in the last, um, perhaps since uh, the days of the wars, since the eras of when we were really in difficult national situations, facing, invading Arab armies, the breath, the sweep, the intensity, the pitched nature, the tears, the flood of tefillah. How to daven? How should we daven? Must seem like a irrelevant or or trite question. What do you mean, how to daven? For two reasons. First of all, because there's no way to legislate or to regiment davening. It should be spontaneous and heartfelt. Second of all, because there's so many varieties and so many emotions that fuel legitimate davening. There's so many words in Tanakh which describe davening that all are legitimate voices and expressions. But in our current situation, facing the enemy, facing the challenge, facing the facing nisayon, it's important to make sure that our davening more or less addresses three issues. Three different fronts. It just so happened that I taught a Gemara today in Sanhedrin on Dav Chavav, which, in a parallel sense, reminds us of these three targets of our tefillah, these three different modalities of our tefillah. The Gemara in Sanhedrin on Dav Chavav describes a tefillah which David Hamelach <coughs> offered in Tehillim, Perak 11th chapter, and so much of our tefillahs this week have borrowed David's voice feel as if we've davened together alongside of David HaMelech by borrowing, by employing so many, if it's Pesukim from Tehillim, so many different Prakim. David HaMelech davens for one of his descendants. He prophetically sees that his descendant, Chizkiah HaMelech, a righteous king, will be deceived by one of his officers named Shevna during the great siege of Sancheirev, who laid siege to Yushalayim, Shevna, one of Chizkiah's officers, is not clear what his role is, committed treason and tried to deliver Yushalayim peacefully, so to speak, but to basically surrender to Shevna and subjugate all of Yushalayim to Shevna's rule and tyranny. And David HaMalch is davening against this treason. The Gemara in Sanhedrin describes the conspiracy or the treason of Shevna. But Worrying about his descendant, David HaMelech Davins, the following pasuk into Helm. The word shasos or shatot can mean many things, but it probably means a foundation, tashtit. If the foundation is dismantled, yehirasun, sadik ma pa'al. What will be of the work of a righteous person, or can a righteous person really have an impact? A very vague pasuk can mean different things could be rhetorical, it could be petitional, but the Gemara in Sanhedrin provides three different options for understanding this Pasuk. How, or for whom, or against whom, was Davin HaMelech Davining. According to one version, Davin HaMelech is Davining for Chizkiah. Chizkiah is the foundation that he fears, the foundation of Chizkiah's family, of his of his monarchy Of the house of David He's davening on behalf of Chizkiah The Chizkiah shouldn't be undone Or Chizkiah shouldn't be damaged By Shevna's treason According to a different version He is davening Different deus in the Gemara He's davening for the Beis HaMikdash Beis HaMikdash is called the foundation of the earth That's why it's called Shasos The Evan Hashatia, The rock, Which is the foundation of our universe If Shevna will succeed, then the Beis HaMikdash will be captured and ransacked. So he's davening for the Beis HaMikdash. (laughs) According to a third version, this is the version of Ula, David Hamelech is davening against Shevna, that his plans should be wrecked, that his plans should be ruined. There are three different elements in this saga. And David HaMelech is praying for all three of them. Of course, as a machlok is what the primary meaning is, but you can daven for all coexistently. Tfilah can complement. Tfilah can, can target multiple targets, multiple needs. The three elements in this tefillah are the victim, Chizkiah, who's going to be victimized by Shevna's treason. The protagonist, or the antagonist, as we would call it, Shevna, And his conspirators, the enemy, so to speak. And of course, the larger consequences, not just Shevna plotting against Chizkiah, but the larger national and historical impact of this treason, the fall, or the potential fall, of the Beis HaMikdash. Mapping these three to our own situation... Victim, enemy, larger consequences, larger narrative. Tfilos begin with victims. Tfilos begin with trying to imagine the unimaginable, trying to live for a moment in someone else's shoes, not just to sympathize, but to empathize. This week, the government sent a psychologist, whose job it is to help... Families and children Through moments of crisis and trauma She told us that she was very active In the weeks after the massacre At Merkaz Harav a High school in Yushalayim A couple of years ago During the summer Right around this time And she was called To my son's high school For a conference with parents To guide us For ourselves And more importantly For our children One of the things she said, I was not in attendance, I was attending a different program that night. One of the things she said was, it's absolutely, absolutely harmful, counterproductive. Try to think about what these boys must be enduring, what they must be going through. It's endless, it just confuses the mind. They wouldn't want it, they would want us to be more activists, to move on, to try to accomplish things on their behalf rather than be crippled or paralyzed by Inevitably crippling thoughts about their suffering. From a pragmatic standpoint, she's right. From a religious standpoint, I have a very hard time with it. Very hard time with blocking off that entire avenue of thought. Again, you can't obsess about it. You can't fixate upon it. How can you daven for someone until you imagine their pain? Until you put yourself into their shoes? How can davening be passionate and fervent and relentless? As you feel the pain of another human being. One of the great prayers on behalf of another human being is in Parsha's Phalosva, Parsha we read a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. Moshe Davins for Miriam, who's suffering with Tsaras, ironically, because of assailing him and his integrity and his character. He davins on her behalf, Kielna Rafan Allah. Na the Medr says that before he davins, he walks into her room as she's suffering. She tells her, I also experienced Saras at one point. I know what you're going through. Moshe had Saras in the very beginning of Sefer Shmos. One Baruch, who challenges him to liberate the Jewish people from Mitzrayim, he questions their readiness and he's stricken with Saras for a moment. Puts his hand into his shirt, removes his hand, and is stricken with Saras, but for a few passing moments. Obviously, Moshe's Saras doesn't come close to the Saras Miriam felt. Moshe's seras is on one part of his body. Miriam's flicks her entire body. Moshe's Saras is fleeting. Miriam's lasts at least a week. Moshe's Saras is very private. Miriam's is public humiliation. Moshe's Saras is part of a sign of empowerment. Miriam's Saras is castigation and critique. But how can he daven for her unless he feels at least a fraction of her pain? He tries to imagine as best he can by placing himself precisely, squarely in her position, what she must be enduring. So obviously fixating upon their suffering and the various scenarios that inevitably are washing through each and every one of our minds, obviously that fixation and obsession, that addiction, can become overwhelming, counterproductive, and paralyzing. God forbid to obsess about it all the time. But how can we not, when we dive in, have them front and center in our minds, see their faces, imagine those painful moments, the shock, the grief, the fear, the terror, imagine what they must be going through on a minute-by-minute basis, separate or apart. It's endless, of course, and we have to naturally stop our minds and our imaginations from wandering into that abyss. But certainly, at the moments in which we stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu with tefillah, certainly first and foremost the people, the victims, families as well, just imagining what they must be going through and davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for nothing else for no other reason just to alleviate their pain and their suffering. <coughs> That's the first type of person we daven for. Just like Davin HaMelech Daven for his descendant Chizkiah, <coughs> who was a potential victim, of Shevna's conspiracy. But what makes this tragedy so much more unpalatable, so much more vulgar and, and n- nauseating, is these aren't just incidental victims, as would be, so to speak, a, a victim of a, of a fire or a victim of an accident or a victim of a natural disaster. These are victims of savage barbarians, no respect for divine image in human beings, willing to subject innocent children to torture, psychological torture, just for the sake of a political platform. I'm a very political person, not really political, but ideological. I believe very deeply in my values. I'm willing to sacrifice almost anything for my values. So it's certainly, certainly, if push comes to shove, never imagine a move from Eretz Yisrael the only price we're paying in Eretz Yisrael was to become a torturer and a murderer and a kidnapper. There is no value. There is no higher ends that can justify such barbaric activity. And we face the fact that there's such evil in this world, such overwhelming, despicable, degeneracy and it ruins our belief in the kindness of humanity, the kindness that we truly believe exists on a general scale, that human beings were born moral noble and upright and we face such brutal unconditional savagery that can't be justified in anyone's equation for any purpose, with any euphemism of freedom fighters or militants or this is our way of, it's just pure evil And we have to face that evil. And part of the way we face that evil is in our davening. And so much of Tehillim is davening, not just praying for the victim, but facing evil emotionally through the act of tefillah. Standing tall, reminding ourselves that we are not evil, that the world is not evil, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't create human beings that evil. That they distort and corrupt the divine good that He placed within them, the divine image. And evil people, and Rishos, has to be the target of our trilos as well. It can't be the first part of our Tefillah, because it distracts us from the victims and our own boys who are suffering so terribly, so excruciatingly. So sometimes too much of a focus on evil turns the whole experience into areas that are very tantalizingly, seductively attractive, tempting, but we shouldn't let ourselves go there. Confrontation, battles, one-upsmanship, we're going to beat them, we're going to defeat the Arabs, we're we're, uh, uh, triumphing over Hamas, we're routing Hamas, as if it's a sports match, and the winner walks away with a big smile on their face, triumphant, despite whatever carnage, whatever losses were suffered. It can't be our primary voice. Our primary voice has to be to alleviate the suffering. You see sometimes ugly expressions of it in Eretz Yisrael. It's very, very marginal, Baruch Hashem. Don't let the media confuse you. But the first response is aggressive campaigning and throwing stones at Arabs in retaliation and and trying to locate an enemy. Somehow... And we can just tag or place a face on the true culprit, on the true criminals, then the entire episode will be neatly packaged in our own moral expectations, it will be easier to digest. We're not looking to make it easier to digest. We're looking to confront the suffering and the trauma and trying to deal with it, suffer alongside of people, and of course practically try to alleviate it. But there's undoubtedly evil that we confront. And one of the ways that we confront and we try to defeat it, is in our tefillahs. Reminding ourselves, this is not the world we occupy, this is not the world Hashem created, this is a world that Hashem will one day avenge, will one day intervene in, and eliminate and erase evil. Ki sa'vir memshelas zadon minaretz. We don't obsess in our confrontation with evil, nor do we flinch, or balk, or retreat in the face of such evil. Not, of course, in any level to compare Shevna as an evil antagonist to the savages we're facing, but at least structurally and metaphorically, David also davened that the traitor, in the case of Shevna, should be thwarted And our Every person, just as when we say Shema we have fervent, fervent kavanos, that Hashem should hear the voices of our and the voices of these suffering boys, when we say, Or when we recite parallel give and Tehillim, we have to realize that we are facing evil in its truest, in its most uh, um, rawest, unveiled form. Sometimes we face evil in its veil. We have to tear away and, and scratch away at some of the veneers just to get down to the core of its evil. This is unconditional, undressed evil. But this is the third thing that Davin Hamalach Davin's for. There's a larger saga taking place in the face off between Shevna and Cheskiah. Mikdash, Am Yisrael, Yushalayim, Mashiach. It's not just evil afflicting a person, or in this case a king. But Akadosh Baruch Hu, have your base on Mikdash in mind. Akadosh Baruch Hu, have your people in mind, have your land in mind, and don't let Shevnas conspiracy, or treason succeed. As much as, and I talked about this yesterday, we can't get lost in the broader equation because that tempts us to mitigate the human suffering involved. And to see everything in historical terms, in historical terms, always depersonalize it. This is happening in our land, in the heartland of Jewish history. It's not happening in Tel Aviv right now. It's not happening in Haifa They're part of the modern state of Israel, but they're not part of the corridor of Jewish history, the corridor that stretches from Beit El, Yushalayim, Shechem in the north, to Beit Lachem, Hebron, Beersheva in the south. That's where Jewish history was born. That's where the Avot and Imot lived. That's where they dedicated their lives to, hammering out the blueprints of Jewish history. This happened dab smack in the middle of that corridor, right in Gush Etzion, 15 kilometers south of Beit Lechem, 15 kilometers north of Chevron. Presumably, they're being held in Chevron, the Ir HaAvos, right near Marasa Machpelah. As we're trying to build ourselves and our people and our history in our land that we've returned to after 2,000 years of absence, trying fervently to prompt the arrival of Mashiach Tzidkenu, Mashiach Ben David, Chevron is a land of Levi and Beit Lechem is a land of Yehuda. And without question, this is part of the price of living in Eretz Yisrael, of living through times of G'ula, of living through Chevle Mashiach. We have every right to daven to our Kodesh Baruch, that we should bring us a Yeshua for these moments and for this particular crisis. This isn't happening in some Jewish community on the sidelines of Jewish history. This is happening as part and parcel of Jewish history. This is part and parcel of our attempts to build a Mikdash. And the reason that we're meeting with such stiff opposition is not just the classic anti-Semitism. It's because we have returned to our land. Shamu Amim Yurgazun. When Jews return to their homeland and try to build a Mikdash international communities will oppose them. Shamu Armi goes they'll be agitated because they recognize the historical consequences and connotations of Jews returning to Gush Etzion, returning to Yerushalayim building communities building a Mikdash resettling Yerushalayim and our tzfinos have to target that contest and that narrative and they have to be fueled by such. We're not just davening for the Maharami Rottenberg taken captive in France in the medieval period. We're davening, although that davening as well is part of Gula, because the whole process is part of redemption and part of what we stand for in this world. But now, it's more enunciated, it's more prominent, it's more blatant. We are davening because we are working feverishly on behalf of Gula. And we expect that HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens his heart, opens opens up the Sha'ar Demos. Because if there's one area that Tzchus Avos never expires, the Torah writes in Shulchan Aruch, there's one part of Tzchus Avos, is Zohar chaste Avos, or maybe Goel Levinei Venei, HaKadosh Baruch Hu remembers the chaste Avos, the promise, the oath, the covenant to our Avos of Gula, that one day He'll redeem us. Shulchan Aruch writes in Sif Gimel, Simen Aleph of Shulchan Aruch, how important it is to always daven for the restoration of the Beis HaMikdash, repopulation of our land famous Tfil of Tikin Chatzels which name the Volnagom we get up every night in Davin and Chatzels for ge'ula, to halt our Avelos to return us to the prominence that we once enjoyed and thereby to redeem an entire world through our experience is absolutely 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 crucial that we see these events and daven for these events in that context. Just as it is absolutely crucial we don't get lost in the larger events and avoid and ignore the human tragedy. There's no way to encompass the flood of emotions we all feel, and obviously each and every one of those emotions are legitimate. And even if we don't have the emotions to daven, with the same fervor that we davened the first weekend, and hopefully we shouldn't have the need to daven anymore, even if we just daven, symbolically, just the fact that we gather and continue our tefillahs and our tehillim, even that has value. But in trying to settle or organize our flooded feelings and emotions, here are three targets. Victims, evil, and the larger history that's being played out during this terrible, terrible crisis. She